0: Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Aaron Berber, director of Cleveland Clinic's Surgical Liver Tumor Ablation Program. He is here today to talk to us about ablation of liver tumors. So welcome, Aaron. Uh,
1: thank you, Dale. Thanks for having
0: me. Absolutely. So maybe to start, uh, just give an overview of uh, your role here at Cleveland Clinic.
1: So I'm a, a general surgeon, and I serve my uh, clinical duties at the uh, Department of Endocrinology and Department of General Surgery, where I have a really special
0: interest in neuroendocrine tumors and uh, also specifically on uh, liver cancer. Excellent. So, Aaron, I guess I'll let people know that, uh, you know, we first worked together back when I was a third-year med student and you were a general surgery resident. And interestingly, we worked together on cases involving liver ablation. So I held the retractors for many of those. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So maybe you can give us a little bit of an idea. What exactly is liver ablation and tell us what that means. What is liver ablation?
1: So basically, you know, when uh, where we have a patient uh, who develops uh, liver cancer, the first option we, we look for is whether the patient can undergo a liver resection. You know, where we cut the cancer out. That's the gold standard. Uh, however, uh, most patients are not really candidates for this treatment because either they have a little bit extensive disease, or they are not really fit for surgery, or Maybe the proportion of the liver that you have to remove versus the size of the cancer is proportionately too much. So these patients need some alternative treatment options. So in 2000s, these technologies that use heat to destroy these tumors uh, were introduced. Initially, we start with radiofrequency ablation which is a basically like umbrella-shaped uh, needle that you insert into the tumor. And when you run the energy, it creates it, and it kills the tumor. And the good thing about this was that you could do it laparoscopically. So instead of making a big cut, you could actually make a couple of small incisions. Uh, each one is less than half an inch or a centimeter. And then you would be able to go find the tumors, burn them, and the patient would be able to go home the next day with recovery like a, within a week. Uh, this was really phenomenal because these patients uh, who had a disease that was not too advanced, but they were not really amenable to cutting out, they finally had a treatment option. And the, over time, the ablation technologies have also evolved from radiofrequency ablation to more powerful technologies such as microwave ablation and most recently even more advanced microwave technology that use higher powers to burn these tumors but the benefit is that obviously you treat these tumors minimally invasively so the patient can go back to their lives or their chemotherapy right away and then you also treat these patients
0: so as i understand we have some pretty uh pretty innovative technology here at the clinic that we've recently started to use can you tell me a little bit about that
1: so, if you don't mind, just like a very briefly, I want to run the history so that we understand why you know why we need this technology. Sure. So, radiofrequency ablation was introduced in 2000, and it was embraced like a miracle therapy. And I think like uh, a lot of patients who were not really candidates or had bigger tumors were being referred. And then we we quickly figured out that actually the outcomes of radiofrequency ablation. For bigger tumors, uh, were not as good. You know, one out of three tumors would uh, uh, recur, meaning that they would come back at the site that you treat, and this was not really uh, favorable. And then over time, uh, microwave technology, which creates it using a different uh, physical property, uh, showed that uh, that actually the outcomes for achieving uh, cancer control. Uh, were much better, like uh, out of uh, 100 tumors that you would burn with radiofrequency ablation, about 30 would uh, recur, meaning come back at the site. Whereas with microwave, this was down to about uh, 12%. And then uh, the challenge was that you were not able to treat bigger tumors. You could only treat up to four centimeter tumors, which is roughly an inch and a half. But now, most recently, these new technologies that use higher power can burn tumors as Big as six, seven centimeters, close to three inches in size, and because you can burn with a uh, higher power, I think that uh, the efficacy and the treatment success is also going to go
0: up as well. So that's what we are with these uh, most uh, innovative newer technologies. So when we think about uh, things like gamma knife radio surgery, some of the some of the advances in treating larger tumors ends up being staged procedures where maybe it'll be two sessions or are uh, in the ablation area. Is this larger tumors with one treatment still?
1: Yes. That's the kind of the benefit of uh, doing these laparoscopically. Obviously, we have a lot of awesome technologies where the patient doesn't need to have surgery, but the benefit of doing them minimally invasively, laparoscopically, meaning you do surgery with small incisions, that you can burn these tumors, treat these tumors at one session. And because you can see what you're doing and you can manipulate the liver around, then uh, you don't have to do it in two sessions. You can do very aggressive treatments where the tumor can be uh, treated in one session.
0: Are there particular histologies that this works better?
1: Histology, actually, patients with uh, what we call neuroendocrine tumors, they have the best success rate. historical note that the tumors that were more resistant to burning, ablation, where the colorectal cancer spreads to the liver. But with the newer technologies, especially with this high-power microwave technology, we're seeing that actually the success for those tumors have also improved. As I mentioned, the failure rate has has gone down from like 40% to about uh, 10%. Uh, So these new technologies were also able to uh, make this modality an appropriate option for colorectal cancer as well
0: so neuroendocrine tumors you you or would be best perhaps the newer technologies things like colorectal cancer um, are improving are there any tumors that this would be a bad idea
1: the tumors that, that this is a bad idea actually that the tumors are not by their nature or histology but their location in the liver for burning ablation either the radio frequency or microwave the tumors that are close to major bile ducts are not good options because if you burn the bile ducts you can cause bile duct injuries uh, where the bile duct uh, narrows or the bile uh, spills out, and it can cause significant uh, complications. So those are the locations where we would not offer this treatment. Otherwise, any histology uh, obviously based on oncologic principles uh, would be a candidate for these options.
0: We've talked about size of tumors. We've talked about histology of tumors. What can you tell me about the number of lesions that could be ablated in any given time?
1: So it has to do with uh, how much of the liver surface, the liver volume that the cancers uh, occupy. And then we restrict this to uh, less than 20% of the uh, the liver uh, surface or the liver volume. Uh, Because if you burn more, liver uh, tissue then you can cause uh, some uh, liver damage uh, where the patient might experience some symptoms of liver failure uh, after the surgery. But size-wise I would say that again uh, you know with the newer technology obviously the size uh, is no longer a limitation. It used to be 4 centimeters. I would say depending on the right circumstance you know if you have a tumor up to probably 6 centimeters uh, without additional disease and it makes sense uh, cancer treatment-wise, oncologically, then, then you know, about, probably the size limit would be about six centimeters now with these new technologies.
0: You talked previously about failure rates, and I presume you're talking about local failure rates. What's being done to sort of combine this technology with systemic therapies to more in an adjuvant setting, or what's being done to sort of, sort of overall treat the patient to minimize risk of new metastases?
1: So obviously, um, ablation is a complementary uh, treatment option for these patients. And as you mentioned, especially systemic therapy is a significant part of this uh, multidisciplinary care. Uh, so patients uh, with this, uh, obviously, stage four disease definitely get systemic therapy. They interrupt, we do the ablation, they go back on the systemic therapy. So they go hand in hand. Uh, what we are noticing is actually when we look at the historical outcome especially especially at the clinic, uh, because of the advances in systemic therapy, overall, uh, like the survival uh, outcomes, you know, we talk about the local uh, success rates where kind of you look at, okay, I treat the lesion, how often does it come at the site that I treat? But obviously, you want to look at the big picture, okay, am I improving the patient's survival or not? I can tell that for, like, for instance, colorectal cancer in 2000, we, where we had a, a less uh, powerful technology, and then maybe the indications were not so well defined, and we did not have so powerful chemotherapy uh, drugs for patients with colorectal cancer, the five-year survival rate was about 18 percent. But when I look at our results most recent over the last, for the last 10 years, it's gone up to like 46 percent, which is kind of close to the outcomes we get when we cut these tumors out. So I think that the advances and the coordination of these treatments with uh, chemotherapy, systemic therapy has really improved overall outcomes for the patients in general.
0: So oftentimes you, you mentioned, you know, multidisciplinary care. You know, we have somebody and we've shared patients with a number of different tumors. They may be on a systemic therapy, they develop a liver lesion, you ablate, it We go back on systemic therapy. And then maybe they'll get another liver lesion. What kind of time interval do you think is reasonable at this point to think about going back and ablating when we think about patient characteristics? So if people might be listening and say, well, you know, I have a patient that had an ablation a while back and can they get another one? How, How do you sort of talk to patients about that?
1: So, obviously, with anybody presenting with any uh, spread to the liver, we want to make sure that uh, we know the biology of the cancer. We want to know how it's it's going to behave in the long run. So, generally, uh, we space these surgical treatments, whether it's resection or ablation, about at least six months apart, because in you know, six months of monitoring, the patient will give you an idea about the natural history and the biology of the disease, and you can decide whether... Uh, the patient will benefit from another surgical procedure.
0: So, so far, essentially, we've focused on radiofrequency ablation, on microwave. Um, How does this vary from, like, cryoablation? What's the advantage of the types of ablation you do compared to cryoablation?
1: Cryoablation actually was the first uh, uh, ablation technology introduced the end of the 1990s. And instead of uh, burning the tumors, you were actually freezing the tumors in order to achieve cell death. The issues with uh, cryoablation were that, uh, first of all, um, the complication rate was higher. The patient would uh, get uh, very significant complications from including bleeding problems or significant tumor release uh, syndrome where the patient gets significant inflammatory response after these treatments and also the outcomes were not as good i mean the local success rate uh, was were way below what we would achieve with radiofrequency ablation or microwave ablation so therefore cryoablation despite opening the door for these type of treatments uh, it has fallen out of favor uh, pretty quickly seeing the advantages of radiofrequency ablation over cryoablation
0: what does this look like practically you mentioned this is being done laparoscopically Tell us a little bit about what what a patient experiences um, in terms of time that takes for the procedure, um, recovery times, things like that, as compared to a resection.
1: Sure, basically the patients come to hospital, they have surgery and uh, they receive anesthesia, so they don't feel pain. And then they get uh, two small incisions, each one is half an inch in the right upper quadrant of the abdomen. And then the procedure depends on how many lesions we are treating and how much scarring the patient has. It's like if you have a patient who doesn't have a lot of scarring, has a couple of lesions, the procedure will be done within 60 to 90 minutes. And we will do a special pain block so their pain is minimal after surgery and they don't have any stitches to remove. And they go to the recovery, they start on their diet right away. And most of them do not require narcotics. And next day they go home. Whereas if the patients undergo an open liver resection, uh, the patients then would require a bigger incision that spans uh, along the right top of corner of the abdomen, and then they would stay about four to six days in the hospital. And the procedure will also take longer. About you know, depending on what you're doing, it could be anywhere from uh, you know three to four hours. We are able to do a lot of the resections laparoscopically now. In, Even with that operation, the procedure takes a couple of hours and the hospital stays about two to three days, which uh, is longer compared to an ablation. So if the patient is a candidate for an ablation, both the surgical procedure and uh, the recovery would be much simpler than a liver resection.
0: So you've described how we've recently developed some newer technologies, higher power, uh, microwave, and advances from that. But... What are the gaps? What uh, what needs to to happen for that next step? What what are we looking for in terms of improvements from here?
1: I think at this point, uh, uh, always as you get more options to treat uh, one disease, uh, the question becomes: Okay, in a given patient, uh, which treatment do we do? Now we're getting more overlaps. Okay, the ablation technologies are, are more powerful. The results are better. So uh, the indications are going to overlap with those patients who would uh, who you would take to uh, surgery, and then you know you would do an open or laparoscopic liver resection. So wh- which which option is better? I think that's the question now. How do these treatment modalities compare with uh, liver resection if there's a the patient's candidate for both options? I, I think that that's the. Biggest question now, I know there are some uh, randomized studies that are being done, especially in Europe, looking at patients with, for instance, a small colorectal cancer metastasis and comparing the outcomes of ablation versus uh, resection, cutting them out. I think that uh, that's the gap, that like we have to figure out uh, which patients are uh, really better for an ablation versus a resection. I think the decision for a patient who is not fit to undergo a big liver resection or those patients have smaller tumors and you would really need to uh, remove half of the liver with a resection. I think the decision is clear that those patients are better served with an ablation, but what about a patient who has a smaller tumor that's amenable to resection without removal of so uh, much liver tissue? I mean, shall we do a liver resection or ablation currently based on our historical data and our uh, uh, training we are offering resection to those patients i think which is the right thing to do but are these uh, new technologies so good that those patients could actually be a candidate for an ablation rather than uh resection we don't know the answer yet and i think we need uh, some good uh, data from well done studies to answer this question
0: well aaron you've provided some great insight today any additional comments
1: I want to emphasize that, again, it's good that we have uh, uh, these new technologies, it's good that we have other treatment options for patients with uh, liver cancer, and I think it's good to kind of be familiar with these technologies and uh, use them complementary, not really competitive, and design a custom uh, treatment uh, tailored on individual patients, so each patient might be different. I think it's good to kind of know about these options and use evidence-based data to figure out which option would be best for the patient. And one option doesn't really burn bridges, and the patient could also be a candidate for the other option uh, later down the road.
0: Great. Well, excellent. Well, thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Dale. I appreciate it.
0: This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances.